We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today is Groundhog Day, a minor holiday that has taken a small place on the LFR pod. It's also one week away from the trade deadline. And boy, Darius have, has my mind gone on a journey since the beginning of this past offseason about the trades we need to make, the types of players we need to acquire. In retrospect, I'm very glad that we waited to do anything super big and then pounced on a I, I just a trade that has great early returns, the Kendrick Nunn in three seconds for Rui Hachimura, uh, and who's been very beneficial in your three things today as the preview. You uh, touched on how beneficial he's been in a small sample size. And so where's your head at, man? We're a week away, uh, and this is the last, you know, there are buyouts and guys like that, but this is really the last time to formulate the team that we can be. So what are you thinking at this moment? Well, my mind is swirling, man, in every single game. The Lakers have a very specific type of roster where they have guys who have super high ceilings, but I feel like can have pretty low floors. And Mm -hmm. I think Russ is probably like the guy who is emblematic of that most, but Mm -hmm. in his own way, like Patrick Beverly represents that where one game he can go five for 10 and hit four three pointers. And then the next game he can be like 0 for seven. And Lonnie Walker is very similar to this. We talked about Lonnie the other day in terms of how his impact on the game is mostly tied to scoring. And so if his shot's not falling, then things get trickier for him as well. So when everything is clicking, I'm like, hey, I love this team. Look at them. Like they can go (laughs) do some things. And then one or two or all three of those things go poorly in the same game with like those three specific players. And suddenly I'm like, It's time to make a trade. Mm -hmm. So I still think that the Lakers would benefit from an infusion of a more reliable perimeter player, particularly a guy who who can knock down shots like I we've we've been saying the same thing. So I'm still very interested in the team exploring deals and aggressively looking to improve the team. I think I've I've said this a bunch of times before, Mike, but. 
I think that despite what this team's record is, that they're worth investing in because I've seen what they can be at their peak level. And we know the history of LeBron and AD when you get them both healthy in a playoff series. And I think if you're forecasting the team forward, you can't forecast on, well, something could go wrong. Because if that's it, like if that's your approach, then why play the season at all? That's true of every year of every team as well. Yeah. And so I think that there's a little bit more variance with the Lakers there. So you have to bake that into the decision making process. So I don't want to make it seem like we're being flippant about any of that. But but Mike, my mind is still around there. There's a week out. I hope all the phones are on and 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 all the numbers are on speed dial that need to be on speed dial and there are active conversations i don't know if any of that is happening or not this is just me projecting what i'd like to see yeah i'm guessing that the phones are open i'm guessing that they're for many teams in the league just given the way that things are and even focusing on the western conference right now and that we, we keep talking about but how jammed up things are and one move can make a big difference. And just like I think that this move for Rui Hachimura has already made a big difference for the Lakers. Unfortunately, the ref in Boston um, decided to have it be in terms of wins and losses, yeah, not yet as uh, as productive. But that's uh, that's something that I'm sure we'll continue to feel bad about, even if you put out try to say, oh, we'll <laughs> focus on that anymore. But that one's going to sting for a little while. Yeah, I think that this is uh, to to try not to repeat myself, but I, my feeling hasn't really evolved that much on this. If the deal, if the kind of the best offer that's on the table is one that gets the Lakers a player that is uh, either better or equal to what they could get in free agency, um, especially, then that's where you really consider putting in a first round pick um, for me, as as opposed to just like the this is the this is basically the best player that's available even if it's not somebody that would typically be worth this type of a pick that's a difficult mm-hmm. conversation and i'm not saying that i wouldn't do that no matter what but it would have to be a couple of boxes would have to be checked and the first one that would lead me towards considering it is that anthony davis and his foot that that looks pretty good uh, based on what expectation was for myself or just in general a couple of months ago when he first got injured and the, the location of the problem in his foot and the fact that he's playing and he keeps saying that he's been pain free and uh, in the foot. And, you know, we talked last game about him not having his full pop. Um, I think that's more just due to reacclimation to playing NBA games and playing his third game um, in a week and trying to get his legs back to the point where they were. But in terms of you don't see him looking down at his foot, you know, you don't after the game, you don't see him j- just just dealing with that. And so that's something that's encouraging to me. And I think with another week of information from that uh, before the, or I guess the deadline. Yeah. It's just about one week, right? Uh, one week from today on the ninth that that information makes a difference as well. So Pete has your stance on, on what could be out there and whether that could be something that either gives the chance, the Lakers a chance to really make a run or do they have enough if optimizing this current roster to make a run without giving up a future asset that might be needed at a certain point. So I don't mind giving up a future asset if it's for a guy who's worth it right now. One of the things that I think we need to bake into the calculus, there are two things it is the number of sellers. How many teams at this point of the season are going to be like, we're going to trade a pretty good player who's on our team for a 2027 first round pick, which is great. But one of the things that, uh, 
we never kind of factor into this is a lot of GMs and decision makers don't know if they're going to be the GM of that team in 2027. In fact, if they are not good enough between now and 2027, there's a good chance that they won't be. And so the I think that we can sometimes be like, oh, we need this type of player as though that type of player is always out there. And I think that the play-in has limited the uh, the number of sellers at the deadline, the number of teams that go, you know what, this isn't really worth it this year. Let's get something for this guy. That said, I think we're in a much stronger position to check multiple boxes, sort of like with Rui, right? Like we didn't have to give up a first for Rui. He's a, a two-way player that is helpful, who we also think is going to be around long-term. But that goes into a certain calculus about the free agency that you were talking about, Mike. And so this is a point you made the other day when we were talking, D, is that like Rui, the idea that he's probably going to be back, at least we would like him to be, cuts into our free agent uh, into our cap space this season. So give us kind of an overview of the impact of the Rui trade on kind of that future plans of what the summer looks like. Yeah, so I haven't done all of the math on this and smarter people who are super plugged in and, and deal with the cap and and are those sorts of guys and gals who do that as sort of like their slant on NBA coverage, you'll definitely be able to find information out there about Rui. There's a couple of things that we need to understand about Rui, though, is that, A, he is going to be a restricted free agent, so he's going to have a qualifying offer of a certain amount of money that the Lakers are going to put out there, which basically allow them to keep his rights, right? The second part of this is, though, is that Rui's going to have a cap hold. Now, his cap hold is going to be much higher than what his qualifying offer is. His qualifying offer is going to be, I, I want to say, in like the $9 million range or $10 million range. And his cap hold is going to be in like the $18 million range. And, and so there's some interesting math when you start to talk about, well, if the Lakers renounce all of their free agents who they have rights on. And so let's say this exact team finishes the season the same. Right. And so Russ is still on the team. Patrick Beverly is still on the team. Lottie Walker is still on the team. Austin Reeves, on and on and on. All of those guys are set to be free agents during the offseason. And in order to maintain a certain amount of rights on them, you carry their cap holds forward. And so if the Lakers wanted to create maximum cap space, they would release. They would renounce the rights to those players. That they could not resign any of those players once they do that. They could not resign them using any of the exceptions that are tied to the to the rights that they have on those players. And so the Lakers have full bird rights on Russell Westbrook. That means that they could exceed the cap by however much they wanted to in order to resign Russell Westbrook all the way up to his maximum salary. And and they could go over the salary cap to do that. The same with Patrick Beverly. Austin Reeves is a different situation. He's and we can go into him in a whole future pod about Austin Reeves free agency because he's got different rules around him. But his cap hold is low as a result of the contract that he's currently on. So in, in a way, he's going to get more than what his cap hold is. But he's a guy that's probably going to be back as a function of that. He didn't cut into the money that much. 100%. And so to make a long story just a little bit longer, my point is, is that if the Lakers were going to renounce all of their cap holds, but still want to keep Rui, there's like a math issue and a timing issue that's going to line up. And basically that 32 million or $34 million that has been speculated that the Lakers could have in free agency, they're not going to have that much. 
They're not going to have that much because Rui, Rui himself, forget Austin Reeves, who the Lakers want to keep. Rui himself is going to cut into that. And so however much he signs for, that's how much he's going to cut into the Lakers free agency. And so that prospect of getting a near max caliber player in free agency and going the route of another three-star build, that gets complicated if you're going to bring back Rui. And so my mindset going into the trade deadline is more to operate as an over-the-cap team. It's Mm -hmm. to bring in salary now in the same way that they did with Rui that you project as being on the roster moving forward. And that's another sort of driver for me, Mike, in in terms of wanting to make a deal now. It's not necessarily the idea of, well, can you get someone better in free agency? Because that's a crapshoot in and of itself. And and while I see the argument, I'm trying to build as much of next year's team out as I can this season in order to give this season's team a chance and next season have some certainty around the roster, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's where I'm at also. It's the it's some of it is math, but the bigger part is just the players that come in on the roster because there there are some really good people um, on the Lakers staff that are all all over the math, right? About um, what, yeah. and that's that's where that's where the trick in this, Pete, for me, is that you don't know sometimes uh, until the actual off season, like what those play, what players might be considering, unless you're tampering, which of course we know the Lakers are are not. Um, and so you might have an idea, like, you know, which guys are, are just technically available based on salary um, or based on their, their contracts, but you don't know which ones are potentially looking to move. And that's where when I'm trying to think about a run for this season and thinking about LeBron and what another year of LeBron aging you know, is going to go into next year, then I guess I'll put it to you. Does that factor into your decision-making process about, hey, LeBron's still at the level that we had discussed in the preseason, Pete, where can he, what level can he sustain as a guy, like a real guy, a number one guy? And, and do you take, do you, you want to make sure you're not taking that for granted going into next year? And is there some percentage, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10% that you sacrifice on, on the future that you mortgage some of that future? to try and make sure that you're optimizing that chance for this year or not? Oh, I think absolutely. Because to me, the idea of like, what is the 27 pick worth? What is the 29 pick worth? It's not worthless, but if it's the difference between getting another guy for current superstar LeBron James and current superstar Anthony Davis, we have a long and storied history of making moves like that. And that's that's exactly what our mentality is, right? And And so... To me, the Rui point, though, that we were talking earlier also plays into that in that we're projected to have, what, the 32-ish million in cap space before the Rui deal. But if you put Rui and even just his cap hold, that knocks it down to low 20s in terms of cap space. Miles Turner just signed a $30 million a year extension with a $17 million raise this year to get Indiana up above the, the cap floor. And so if Miles Turner is going for $30 million a year to stay in his spot, what does the remaining after a Rui signing, right? What does the remaining, I don't know, $18 million worth of player get us? You can get a good player for that, but is that the type of guy that you forego the current season for the opportunity to do that? And then again, that's with renouncing all the other guys. And so that to me is a, a big part of how we manage this trade deadline is are we acquiring players like Rui to 
that are that we can resign or we have rights on or is under contract, whatever it is. But that to me is a more efficient route because then you can resign guys who you do have bird rights to. You get the full MLE if you're operated as an over the cap team. Just like the math D in terms of how we get to a good team next year, right? While just putting aside the importance of this year. I think also aligns with making a deal at the trade deadline as opposed to going the free agent route. So before the Rui deal, I wrote a piece of silver screen and roll about this exact idea and how the Lakers were projecting to generate about low 30s in cap space by renouncing the rights to about $75 million in salary. Right. Like these guys, when you add up what Russ makes and you add up what Lonnie Walker makes and you add up what Patrick Beverly makes and then Thomas Bryant and Dennis Schroeder and all of these guys. Right. All of these dudes who were going to be free agents, none of them return. The Lakers have low 30s in cap space, but all of them combined this season make about 70 something million. And then the ability to trade, if you traded all of those people, which the Lakers are not, I'm just. This is just a math discussion right now. They could take back like 125% of those player salaries could come back in a trade. And so there's, let's just, even if it was one-to-one, you're talking $75 million worth of spending power in trade. It's like when you go to like a consignment shop and they're like, hey, we'll give you, We'll give you $35 for that pair of slacks and that jacket that you brought in, or we'll give you $55 in store credit, right? And it's just like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, the players on the Lakers roster right now, they're the store credit. They're the dudes who are just Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, we'll we'll give you this and we'll take back that. And that can be at one-to-one. But if the Lakers decide that they're going to cash out and they're going to turn all of all of those expiring contracts into available money that they're going to then take into a new store in order to spend, they get about half of that money. And from a math perspective, in terms of building out the roster, I want more spending power. And so that was one of my main arguments around trying to make a trade as well. Now, Mike's point is the underlying best point of all, which is I want to make a good trade. Let me make a trade where I get (laughs) good players. So let's go to break here because that is the discussion that's at hand here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
So what does a good trade look like? Uh, one of the things that I've been surprised about and pleasantly surprised, and I think it's a testament to how we scouted our, our pro personnel this year, we have kind of a full house in terms of a roster. If everybody were healthy, there'd be two to three pretty good players. We already got one of them in Wenyon who would be DNPs. You just can't play all of them unless you're playing shorter shifts and having like an 11, 12 man rotation. And so that's one of the things that's on my mind too, Mike, is, is that when you trade for that player, you make that good trade. You want you want at the other side of that to have a, a contender type of rotation. And so one of the places that I've been coming at recently is I'd love a consolidation trade, a two for one, a three for one type of deal in which, yeah, I'd be totally willing to to trade w- one of the firsts for that. I don't think there's a deal that's worth two firsts. There's one guy that's being rumored about that we'll see, but uh but yeah, I don't think there's probably a two first type of deal, but that's the other thing too, Mike, is that I think we can act like our 27 and 29 are the only picks that we have to trade. And so we really have to nail that. And that has been true, but the Pelicans are slumping and they've dropped in a pick that seemed like that was going to be in the late twenties is probably looking more like late teens or low twenties. And we've got picks in other drafts and kind of going forward, there are more movable assets. So that's one of the things I'm looking at, Mike, is that we got a lot of guys who could play. And so a consolidation trade, you know, with a, a first round pick, we also have some young guys that are playing well, that aren't like, Oh, you're just trading for a crappy guy. If there's a team that wants to have a guy around there, we have a couple of guys that can kind of fit that to sweeten a deal. Or it's also, I think, significant to think about, well, the Lakers did make a trade and it's looking like a pretty good one. And they did it without giving up a ton. And not just with Rui Hachimura, but I, as we discussed last pod, have really been liking the way that Troy Brown Jr. has played. And Austin Mm -hmm. Reeves is about to come back. And so the player that is theoretically out there that could come in, if giving up a future first round pick that that I'll still I still will will kind of stand out for that pick could be used at some point to get a real star um, in in some fashion or at least help towards doing so and maybe not having that could impact that now, we don't we don't know that it doesn't mean you couldn't get one if you don't include that specific pick but just that's part of what's in my brain um, moving on for into sure. the future and trying to be a responsible thinker as opposed to just what's best for my for even my current life as an employee of the team um, would be for this team to be as good as it could as soon as possible. But um, mm-hmm. just thinking pragmatically. So with that as the, with that is the, the staple of kind of where I'm thinking. So what player is out there? And, and I haven't really heard one that is such a big upgrade over these guys that we now have, especially to trying to consider some level of continuity with the roster um, for this season. That's still the, the part that I haven't necessarily seen um, and or the, you know, kind of the trade machine fodder that uh, now that Hachimura is in and we're kind of projecting him at least here um, and going off some of just the eye test plus the net ratings that Darius pulled with how he's playing next to LeBron and AD. Um, I'm I just want to make sure that that is that is understood as opposed to just you then you also have to get another uh, upgrade somewhere else and then how is that going to affect the rest of the roster but not ruling it out it just i'm i'm kind of i'm a little bit more pleased with what this current roster looks like and it just took one move to get there to me there's one obvious point in terms of not just this year but also the future and that's the pat bev spot that's the not only this year but also going forward i think that that spot needs an upgrade like in in his position both 
short term and long term, I think is a place that that we can go. And so that's part of the reason I think we've been talking about that two guard slash three type of type of well, guy. And I and I'd said for for right now though, that's where so Troy Brown Jr. Like I'm I'm already putting him into that spot, which I don't know is going to happen. Like Beverly mm. is probable to play in Indiana, and maybe Darvinham just puts him right back in that spot. And I, I don't know how that looks next to a, an actual bigger three because then Beverly isn't going to have the slot. If Rui is in the starting lineup still, then maybe mm-hmm. that works a little mm-hmm. better. And especially if yeah, he's hitting that, that three on the perimeter. So that I do think he could he could play a little better in that spot. But still, I – yeah. Then it's the – is is a Troy Brown slash maybe Beverly coming into that spot off the bench. Um, is that upgrade worth a first and, you know – Obviously, it depends on what the player is, right? And, it, and, and exactly. it's a, it's yeah, it's something that's tough to speculate on. See, but this is where we start to come into the fact that then who's out of the rotation, right? And so, like we did all that talking, Bev might come back, talking about Troy Brown potentially playing some shooting guard as well. Austin Reeves, Mike, you talked about this earlier this week. He should be getting reevaluated today. I think his return is looming. Lonnie Walker is still out there. We're still talking about playing Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder starts. And so there's still a glut of guards. And Rui and LeBron are basically the forward tandem. Wenyon is out of the rotation. And so we know there's no more forward minutes, basically. And so what I'm trying to figure out is I've loved how Troy Brown has played. I think it's actually a strong possibility that Pat Bev looks better playing a more natural position. I can't wait for Austin to get back. Yeah. What I'm trying to get to, and and I'll kick it to both of you here, because I think that this is important because we've talked about this actually for three seasons, because Frank was very fond of playing 10 guys, sometimes 11 guys. Darwin has been fond of playing 10 guys, sometimes 11 guys. Mike, you remarked in in a, the text thread the other day, it's just like, oh, look at this, a nine-man rotation. This game, I can't recall the last time the Lakers actually went with a nine-man rotation mm-hmm. with this many players available to play who had actually been rotation-level guys. And so a nine-man rotation to me is the sweet spot because yeah. in the playoffs, I think the best teams have – seven and a half guys that they really, really trust. And I'm trying to get to those seven and a half players, basically. And the extra one and a half players, those are useful players, right, to get to nine because they help you not only get through the regular season, but they can eat up a shift or two a game, even in in a playoff series. But I'm trying to get to nine. And if I can turn 11 or 12 into nine, a stronger nine, not just like, oh, like, like I said, again, I've liked Troy Brown. I think Bev is going to be better if he's playing guard, basically, and not forward. Mm-hmm. I think Lonnie is going to find a shot. I'm Again, Austin's going to be great. Haven't even talked about Max Christie yet, who's, who's been making strides and, and I think is a viable player for the long term, but, but would probably be pushed out of this discussion in the short term. But Pete, I'm trying to get to nine. And, and so where mm-hmm. are you at around that conversation? And just like, because that yeah. idea of consolidation is about building up strength. It's not just like subtracting for equal parts. And so it is complicated, yep. but my that's where my mind is sort of venturing towards. I love the framing of trying to get to nine. And then the whole idea that you need seven and a half in high level playoff games to be able to really perform. And 
the main question of that is, do we have a backup big that we trust, right? You're talking about having those seven and a half to nine guys that, that you trust. TB, uh, there are stretches defensively. Like, I don't think TB is going to be able to play that much in the playoffs. I think there are a couple of teams or a couple of lineups where you can do that. And I don't want it to be, I don't want to pit like a Wenyan versus TB type of thing. But I do think that we we need to put our most serious defensive lineups out there. And to me, like role players who are below average defenders fall away very quickly in the playoffs. And so that is part of the question to me on the trade deadline too. Now, is this somebody that's worth a first round pick? Almost certainly not. I would not trade a first round pick for a backup five, Mike. But I do think there's an argument to be made that do they trust Wenyan or TB to be able to fill that backup five spot in the playoffs? I think there are questions there. And so I curious your guys, your guys' thoughts on that point. Yeah, for I mean just on the backup five, Pete, or that that point in general. Just a just a backup five point. Like like yeah. do we have a big that we can we can trust? So I was thinking of I was watching Philly the other night and they were kind of they were having the discussion, the announcers were having the discussion of well, when Joel when Joel Embiid sits, can you really play Montrose Harrell in the playoffs? We've seen that before, and and like my answer would be no, you can't. You know that's that's where a team's going to absolutely attack, just as Denver did the Clippers and uh, and so on. But guess what? You can do what they did against Jokic. You can just have PJ Tucker play like in the playoffs. Backup center gets really small really quick because bigs that can't hang defensively just get pushed off the floor, and then other teams go smaller. It's just that's to me where the biggest part of where the league has changed a lot. And so to me, mm-hmm. in a playoff series, LeBron is your backup center uh, in in I most think. cases defensively. And if not, but but Wenyan Gabriel, this is why I like Wenyan in some parts. Wenyan could be out there and, you know, in some ways look like a center, but could also be a forward and yeah. can give you a rebounding extra help there. Right. Or so it's like I is there another player that you can come in, that you could put into that spot or that you need in that spot. And and for me, the answer would be no. I would still be looking back to where you were starting, Pete, right, with it. Is there a, a, a really kind of big quality upgrade of a swingman 2-3 type that can hang on the floor mm-hmm. defensively still? Um, and is it's just a little bit different of a type of player from Rui Hachimura. But I've become, for the third time I'll say it here, with, with, with again, of, a, of trying to avoid annoying you guys, like, I'm there's a part of me that thinks that the Troy and Austin and then occasionally Beverly, if it's the right matchup combo Mm -hmm. is kind of fine there. And then I'm, I'm just right back to, okay, how healthy is AD? Uh, And that's like looking pretty decent um, at at this point. I'm like 80% there. When I think about Troy and Austin, I love Austin. And I think Troy has exceeded, exceeded my intrigue. Right. Which I sort of discussed on a pod earlier this this week about where I was at around Troy when when he came to to the team, a guy who can rebound the way that he does and cut the way that he does and feels comfortable shooting the three Troy sometimes on offense. He plays a little bit like the quarterback who was a star quarterback in high school and then got converted to like safety in college (laughs) and then and then the quarterbacks get hurt and so now he or and then he gets to maybe run the scout team as quarterback during a practice and he's just like look at me like 
And so he's got some sauce to his game. He like he threw that lefty shovel pass to TB, I think, for a dunk inside. And he's got a little bit of handle and shake and bake. But sometimes mm-hmm. he'll take that like a step too far. And just mm-hmm. like, hey, TB, pull back. Where, where like, are you going, Troy? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, like pull back a little bit, my guy. But he's got those instincts as a guard and as a playmaker. And so you love to see that. So I don't want to talk about or I don't want to frame the idea of wanting an upgrade as a denouncement of them as players, right? Like, and this is why I go back to trying to get to nine because like when I'm looking at like seven or seven, when I'm trying to get to nine, Austin Detroit are in that nine, right? Mm-hmm. And Austin may be in that seven and a half that I talked yep. about earlier, right? He's in mine, yep. LeBron is in that group. AD is in that group. I think Dennis has shown enough. And then you start to have conversations about how how are we going to get to the rest of that seven? Rui is impressed early on. Okay, is Rui in that group? Great, now we're up to like four, four and a half. Where are we gonna get the other three? And because we, we're already talking about these other two guys being in that bigger nine, right? And so do they have enough range in their game to get into that top seven and a half? Maybe. Like, I've been surprised every championship season that I've watched of the Lakers, there's been like, oh, look at Shannon Brown doing the thing and being important and crucial to a championship run. Like sometimes like KCP surprised me in his run in the bubble where I was just like, I wasn't quite sure. And then he just kept making the right plays. Pete. And so it, I'm not saying it's impossible or even like improbable. It, it's one of those things though, where I just want to try to build the strongest team. And there's a weak timeline here, seven days where the Lakers have a real opportunity in order to try to do that thing in order to get to that seven and a half and get to that nine, Mike. And I'm just wanting them to be assertive and aggressive within that timeline is where I'm at. Yeah, sort of aggressive and and also pragmatic. Uh, if I could throw one more word in there, but that's mine, prudent. not yours. And prudent too. Prudent, prudent. Sure, that one works I would too. Say. That one works too. Uh, I can I throw this back at you guys, and this is a bit of a reiteration of my point about Hachimura before. But I think that from the start of the season, just looking at the roster alone, to watching the team play in the preseason, to what it was clear, like it was very clear, right, that something had to be moved in terms of roster balance and. Uh, mm-hmm. With with that having now seemed like it worked in this short sample size, does that does that do you have the same mindset uh, that uh, as uh, as before, or is this are you a little bit closer to me where at least now I can I can conceivably come up with a rotation where like I do think this team it's going to be very difficult to be the to be coming from the bottom, but I don't I, I think this can be a very difficult team to play. And that wasn't the case as much before that move. I totally agree with that. I just, I want us to be more than just a difficult team to play. I th- and I think that this is a group that can win, but I think we need one more guy that's also a veteran. Like ideally I'm with you on Troy Brown and I'm, I, I think he's been 
again, one of those guys that we've signed with a bet in this offseason. We really nailed a lot of those nets, helped the team quite a bit. I'd just like Troy Brown to be the guy I'm talking about, his backup. I don't know if Troy Brown is good enough to be the a starting shooting guard on a contending type of team. And so the type of, that said, though, I am closer to you from the perspective of I don't think this guy needs to be a star level type of player or a star adjacent type of player. I personally think that we need a professional jump shooter. That's a two way player. And that is, that's something, again, I don't, he doesn't need to be a stopper. He doesn't need to be a sniper, but there are a few players that kind of fit this description that I also think Bev at age 33, 34 next year going forward, like his bird rights are less valuable because I think he's going to continue to degrade as a player. And so turning Bev into a guy that's going to be here and probably be the same type of guy that he is now next year too, I think is the place to do that. Now, do you have to give up a first round pick to even get that kind of guy? I, after the Rui trade, I'm not sure how many seconds that we have, but we have some seconds to trade, right? I don't think that's necessarily the case that we have to give that up, but I do think that type of shooting guard D that will be here next year, that is just a professional at his job. And that's where I've changed. I, I don't think we need as much a player as we did before the Rui trade. Yeah, and one component that I will add to this too is this is Darwin's first year and he has made tremendous inroads in building relationships with this group of players in order to get them to play hard mm-hmm. consistently. And that's one of the uns... This gets said a fair amount, I think, by people who pay attention to, to the Lakers. This team does not quit. They play hard and it's the only reason why they have the record that they have right now. Mm. If they if they played as hard as last year's team, mm. they would have 10 fewer wins than what yep. they have right now. And we wouldn't even be lamenting losses like the one against Boston because guess what? They wouldn't have been in that game in the first place. Yeah. They would have lost it by 15 several different times over the course of the game. But one of the things that I'm trying to do in terms of like the sort of help me help you idea is like... I want Darvin to have, these are my nine dudes because he's about to have 12 dudes, mm-hmm. right? And the choices in the backcourt are going to be tricky and they're going to need to be right yes. in order for the team <laughs> to win at the level in which they have, have to win. And right isn't always easy to see when you have... sort of equally talented players who do different things and one guy may not have it one night and one guy might and then how much and Darvin trusts all of these dudes he believes in all of these these dudes and all of that is genuine Mike and and so like the idea of like I believe this guy is going to do it so I'm going to leave him in or I'm going to go back to him those are coaching decisions that I'd like those to be and this isn't to speak down on Darvin I want those to be easier for him and not be as muddied and as complex because honestly, and I would say that about any coach, I'd say it about yeah. Phil Jackson. If I had to like, oh, you've got 13 dudes to play. We saw that with Vogel a couple of years ago and we ta- and we frame that as a good problem, but good problems are problems too, yeah. right? Like I'd rather there be fewer problems to deal with in general. And so it, it's all of this is just in my mind as, as I think about it. So to add on to that briefly, and, and you mentioned Vogel's name, and shout out to Frank. I saw him at a, a youth soccer game actually a couple of weeks ago, and he was doing great. Uh, for, I thought Frank did a nice job of if there was a player that was 
basically good enough to be getting rotation minutes, but it was in, was in some sort of a crunch because there were other players there. He found a way to keep them engaged just with uh, a certain amount of minutes at a certain time where some coaches mm-hmm. will just like Tibbs right now, just this is the rotation. Everybody else deal with it. Yep. And I just don't think that's a good way to run a business just in general. Um, and if you can, and the, the person that I'm thinking of in this case is Wenyan Gabriel. Where Wenyan has been good enough, and I know I don't have to twist Pete's arm on this, certainly, or, or you either, Darius, where no. even if you decide that AD is the starting center and Thomas Bryant's going to get that first crack, here's here's five minutes here in this specific game. Team needs energy. Here's here's a 10 minutes in here. Oh, and you play well? Okay, that's going to continue in. Just It doesn't have to be the same every game, but letting that guy know that he's been valuable um, and, and, and also just simple basketball sense, like that guy can help. In terms of the backcourt, once Reeves gets back, you know, I think that for as much as I love Max Christie, he is not the guy that you have to go to and, and sort of um, if he's not out of the, if he's out of the rotation, right, that you have to sort of explain it to as a 19 year old right. rookie. And that's not to say that he can't help and he shouldn't play sometimes, which I think he can. But so that's that's one spot that you can bump off. And then it essentially comes between like Lonnie. Right. Is is that guy where he and Austin, one of those two is is really not going to be getting close to the minutes that they think they should and or that they deserve unless it's Beverly like that, who is getting those those fewer amount of minutes. And so that's that's a difficult, a more difficult one than I think that it is to kind of occasionally play one in with that front court group Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, put Max outside of that main rotation. Yeah, that's something that I part of the reason why I want a consolidation trade is you're talking about a couple guards who can totally play in this league that just on this particular team, we've already got enough guys. So very curious how the Lakers end up navigating that. All right. Uh, got a game tonight against Indiana. Of course, they got Halliburton back, so it, it, it'll be tough. But hopefully uh, get this W tonight. We'll come back tomorrow, discuss how it, how it goes. But until then, you can listen to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot. That NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Brian, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Brian. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. 
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.